really enjoyed teaching and preaching this this morning at the 9 o'clock hour, and uh, looking forward again to work through some more material here in this hour. Joshua chapter 2 and verse number 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into the harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, uh, there came men hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out the country. And the woman took them two men and hid them and, th- and said thus, There came two men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about this time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I what not, pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she brought them up on the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan into the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up uh, 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 unto them upon the roof and said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you come out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites and were, that were on the other side of Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father, my mother, my brethren, my sisters, and all that they have, and delivered our, our lives from death. And the men answered, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. You pray with me and for me as we preach on the subject, Rahab, the mother of Boaz. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. Uh, I pray you guide us and help us this morning, our minds and our hearts. I pray, God, they would be opened. Uh, Thank you for the powerful testimony that we heard today, how, Lord, you worked in Dale's heart. And uh, you have worked in multitudes of people, Lord, in this church and throughout uh, church history, Lord, to get our attention. And Lord, yet again, there's the word of God before us, the eternal words of God, giving us warning and giving us promises, giving us hope. And I pray you guide us and bless and give us grace that we need this morning. If there's one here that does not know where they're going to go, if they died, that they would get saved before it's eternally too late. I pray, God, for the believer this morning that perhaps is struggling in their faith. I pray you'd help them, strengthen them, Lord. May they cling closer to the promises of God as we see these days approaching. And guide us and bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love seeing transformed lives. I absolutely love it. I love it when God saves someone from uh, a life of blindness to a life of sight. Uh, When God takes them from darkness and brings them into light. Uh, it is an awesome thing to see. 
and the transformation in this woman's life is one of those uh, stories that uh, just stands off the pages. Uh, I don't know about you, but think about uh, before you got saved, you were, the Bible says, children of wrath. Children of wrath. What a description in Ephesians chapter 2 that tells us that we were under the condemnation and wrath of Almighty God. Children of wrath. You're of your father, the devil. Whoa. So we were in a different family before we got saved. We had a father, a different father, spiritual father, the devil. The Bible talks about that. And so when you get saved, you're brought out of one family, you're put into a different family. You're brought out of darkness, you're put into light. You're brought out of serving Satan to serving God. You're brought off the broad way, and you're put on the narrow way. I mean, we can go through a list of descriptions of what happens, the miraculous event that takes place after you get saved, moving from where you were going to where you're going now. Praise God for that. Well, this is a story here. It's an amazing story. Joshua chapter 2 is a, it's, it catches up to what this is in Israel's history, and really in human history. From Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11, you find creation of man. You find the flood in Genesis chapter 6, Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. And before you even get out of chapter number 11, you've got pretty much every major sin that's ever been committed committed in the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters. When you get to Genesis chapter 12, we find the first uh, mention of Abraham and the father of now going to be a Jewish nation. Uh, the Ur of the Chaldees, bringing him out and starting a nation. So we have Abraham, and then you have his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob, of course, his sons. And by the time you get to the end of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, we sort of have the end of, if you would, and yet the beginning of the nation of Israel. But they're now in Egypt because of a famine, the, 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 uh, the, um, the descendants of Abraham. And yet there was a promise given to Abraham that there was going to be a land that was given to him. But they didn't get that promise all the way into Genesis. In fact, they were in Egypt. Uh, they were not even close to the land of promise. And so here they are in Egypt, and uh, 400 years later, there uh, arose a Pharaoh that knew not the Lord, and, and they became servants and slaves to the Egyptians. And so they had 400 years of bondage. And then God brought a man by the name of Moses up, and he came into Pharaoh, let my people go. And then, of course, you have all the plagues that came into Egypt. And then you have the Red Sea and the destruction of the, 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 uh, the Egyptian army and flooding them and killing them as they're coming out of the dry Red Sea, all of that. And so that generation comes out of Egypt and now they're in the wilderness and they're wandering around for 40 years. And an interesting characteristic of those Israelites in Israel uh, in, in the wilderness were those that murmured, uh, they complained complained against God. They uh, rose up against God. They rose up against Moses. Uh, they were, they were uh, uh, never happy. And so the Bible calls them stiff-necked, hard-hearted. And that's sort of the description of that generation. And God would not let that generation in the wilderness to go into the land of promise, which would be the land of Canaan, which when we get into Joshua and his account of Joshua, that's where the Bible's recording the land of Canaan or going into the promised land that God made Abraham. You all with me so far? And so that's sort of how we are in history up to this point. Now we get into Genesis chapter 2, and it's almost like this huge stop sign. It says, oh, I, I want to I tell you about this, this lady. This is what the Bible is saying. Let me tell you about this, this particular person. And it's a very interesting story. 
Out of the narration of, of all of the children of Israel, six and a half million Jewish people now coming over, uh, camping on one side of Jordan, uh, just a few miles away is Gilgal, and south of Gilgal is Jericho, and Jericho is a huge city, most likely a, likely a half a million people contained inside of this city, mostly Canaanites and uh, paganism and, and, and all kinds of things that go along with that kind of lifestyle. So here's the Israelites are about in, and to enter into this Canaan land to claim their promise. And they have to take this city. This city is in their way. And God is going to allow them to have the city, destroy the city. Now, from here, they can go north and destroy the armies north of uh, Jericho. And then from south of Jericho, destroy all the armies south of and the city south of Jericho and claim the land of Canaan, which is uh, the promise of God. And so they sent out two spies in verse number one, and they're young spies. We find that out later in this chapter, and they go into Jericho. And of course, in verse number two, you find something somewhat strange, but you find really why they did this. In verse number two, you find, and they went, and the last part, and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. So my question is, why would they do that? So here they are, two spies from the children of Israel on the other side of Jordan, coming into Jericho, a city of a half a million people, huge walls, walk into the city, and they lodge in a harlot's house named Rahab. And, uh, and I would just look at these, uh, this story, and I think, of course, why would they do that? It would be rather uh, inconspicuous. It would be more like no one would raise any concerns. Here's two travelers coming in, and they go to a harlot's house named Rahab. That's sort of a normal thing that harlots do, or those that sell themselves to do. Strangers come into town and go all the time. And so for you look at Rahab, we find out here's a girl that uh, uh, is living in a city that is going to be condemned. I'll talk about that in just a little bit. But when we're going to see here this morning how the Lord can take this sinner, this little girl, and do something amazing with her. Amazing. That's why she is the mother of Boaz. I'll mention that in a little bit. But looking at her a little bit, her spiritual condition, if you look in verse number two, the Bible does say that she's a harlot. Rahab the harlot. You'll find that she is mentioned as being a harlot in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And so for those that are not familiar with what that word means, if you're new to the Bible, is an old word that simply means what we use the word whore or a prostitute. And so both those words are in the Bible, the prostitute, but whore is in the Bible, harlot's in the Bible, and a word that we would understand is prostitution. This is what she did. And here's the question, of course, I asked this week, why was she a prostitute? Why was Rahab, why did Rahab have sit in and set into this particular uh, uh, vocation, so to speak? And I would say this as a look at prostitution. Uh, I, I don't think that Rahab, when she was a little girl, looked up in the stars and uh, walked across the commencement exercise of her high school and said, what are you going to be when you get older? She didn't say, oh, I cannot wait to be a prostitute. And even today, prostitution has always been and, uh, a, a job for, if you would, the low, low, if you would, class of people. It would be a shameful way to live. It's still, as much as they're trying to redefine it, it's still a shameful way to live. It was shameful then. It is shameful now. It's very dangerous at this point to say, well, why was she a prostitute? She must have enjoyed it. 
And she could have, but I would argue that she never set out to be a prostitute, as I think most of those in prostitution do not want to be in prostitution. In fact, studies have found that most prostitutes have been sexually abused themselves. And out of necessity, their husband died or the husband walked out. And the only thing that they really own that they could rent out is their body and they can make a living doing that. It is a dangerous profession. It is a dirty profession. It is a profession that even in these days was looked at as a very disgusting thing to do. And that's what she was. She is a harlot. And this woman here is in the life of prostitution. And she, as you look at Rahab, and it's easy to judge her from where we're at. But understand this, that I don't know the backstory to Rahab, but I know this, Rahab is a broken, hurt woman. She's living in a city that is going to be judged. She is part of a sin-cursed world. And she is a picture of every sinner ever living in this sin-cursed world. She is a damaged woman struggling to live in a city that is going to eventually be completely destroyed. She's a picture of every lost sinner this morning. If you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you're not born again, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, well, pastor, I'm not that bad of a sinner, and I'm, as, I'm better than someone else. And the, yet the Bible says that the Scripture hath concluded that all are under sin. No matter how good of a sinner, how bad of a sinner that you are, we're all sinners And the Bible declares in Romans 5, 12, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. And so you're a sinner this morning because you were born into sin. Why were you born into sin? Because your father was a sinner and his father was a sinner. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number three. And so as you look at this, she is, a, she is a woman that is a picture of every sinner that has ever been born. Her spiritual condition is that of a sinner. Number two, this is where it gets interesting. She's also under condemnation. If you make it right there, go to Genesis, or actually Joshua chapter number six. Joshua chapter number six. Look at the description of Jericho here. Joshua chapter six is about three, maybe four weeks later from Joshua chapter 2. And the reason why I know that is because the children of Israel, when they got over from one side of Jordan to the other side of Jordan with a miraculous work of God, that's spelled out in chapter 3 and chapter 4, they get to Gilgal and uh, there was a, uh, uh, there was a, proclamation put forth that all the males needed to be circumcised. And the Bible says that until they were made whole, they stayed there until they were made whole. They had to heal from the circumcision. So we have maybe a couple of weeks, two, three, four weeks. I don't know. But here they are uh, in Joshua chapter six. And the Bible says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. So watch this. We've got inside Jericho, no one coming in, of course, to verse number six, and none went out and none came in. So no one's leaving. It's different than Joshua 2. Joshua chapter 2, the gate was open. The gate was closed. Joshua chapter 6, gate shut. 
No one's coming in and no one's leaving. Watch this. Joshua chapter 6 is a description of the city that is now going to be condoned, condemned. It is going to be destroyed. Everything. In fact, it is a cursed, a cursed. Look in verse number 17. Down in verse number 17, same chapter. Now the city shall be what? Accursed. Look in verse number 18. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the what? Accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. Here's what we're looking at here as you unpack some of this, is that this city is now accursed. Everything in this city is going to be destroyed. Every person is going to be destroyed, with the exception, according to verse number 17, of Rahab and anyone that will be living in her house. Now, this is a bad position. Now, watch this. So here in in Joshua chapter 2, we have a woman, a harlot, living a life, a, a life of misery, a dangerous life, a life that's subjected to all kinds of diseases, a life that has a lot of reproach living inside, even the pagans understanding that is a reproachful way to live. This is her life. In addition to that, she's living in a condemned city. A city that is going to be ultimately destroyed. In chapter 2 and verse number 9, she says this. Look back there in chapter 2, verse number 9. And she said unto the men, look at this phrase here. I know that the Lord hath given you the what? The land. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Wow, what a testimony. So here's Rahab saying, you know what? I know God's on you. I know that God is blessing your people. And because of that, we're terrified. We're we're scared to death. It goes on to say in verse number 10, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. And as soon as verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things. So it's impossible. Listen, here's, here's the people in Jericho. They know what's happening outside. I mean, Jericho, front page of Jericho Times, man. It's now, there's, there's, there's a yet, the Og was killed last week and Shihon was killed last week. And, and on and on about what God's doing with the children of Israel. They're terrified. Something's happening. Now you think about this. You think about how strange it would be to look out over the desert and see this weird, strange glow. How do I know there's a glow? Because the Bible, the Bible says there was a pillar of fire by night. Now that's strange. That doesn't just happen. So here's the children of Israel wandering in a cold desert, okay? And all of a sudden, out of the sky comes down this pillar of fire. Now that's kind of warm. And then it goes away in the morning and a big cloud comes and just covers the entire nation of Israel while they're out in the desert. Now, if you're not in that and you're looking at that, you're thinking about that, whatever God they are is taking care of them. Whoever God, whatever God they are. Now, we have all kinds of gods, but that Hebrew God, he's terrifying. Because we heard what he has done. We heard what he is capable of doing. But it's possible that in their fear, because the Bible says clearly that the people of this particular city Verse, they hurt our hearts did melt. Can I say this way? That behind this city, there's people living that are fearful of what's coming and yet not moved to any repentance. And it could be that they logically thinking that there's no way that the children of Israel can do anything to the walls of, of our city. I mean, these walls, you could take two chariots and run down the top of these walls. There was 60 to 80 feet high. There's no way to bridge this wall. And so just shut the gate and we'll just stay in here. We'll wait them out. And of course, that's the mode of the fence that they went. And they could have said, like America says, well, you know, we still got our economy. You know, we still got our 401k. 
You know, we're still the greatest nation in the world. Listen, as a national uh, a point here, that there's a lot of false securities that we can trust in. The Bible very clearly says that the horse is prepared against battle, but safety is of the Lord. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I understand you and I, by God's grace, are safe. Not because of the government, not because of what they're doing, or because of the shots and all the other things. It is the grace of Almighty God that helps and gives safety. And so there's an application here to every sinner this morning. The lost person may feel secure. And they may believe that there is no danger, but there is judgment coming. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 18 weighs in on this. It says that he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Friend, listen, if you've not believed in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are under condemnation. Okay, the word accursed means a doomed object. You are under doom. You're under the judgment of Almighty God. If you're not saved, you're under that judgment. You're under that curse. It goes on to say in the same chapter in John 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Wow. And so when you look at the Word of God, there is judgment on the sinner. There is judgment on those that do not know Christ. We heard that in our testimony this morning. The wicked, the Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. So here's the main point that comes up to this place right here. Uh, She's a harlot. She's living in a condemned city, a picture of every person that's ever been born. You realize that everything you see right now is going to be burned up one day? Everything. This pulpit, these trees, they save the planet. It's, the planet's going to be burned up, man. God's going to destroy this thing. Okay, we've got to hug a tree. Well, you can hug the tree all you want, but it's going to be a crispy tree one day. The Bible talks about that. There's two major judgments that are coming. The judgment of nations at Armageddon. And then there's a thousand years of millennial reign. The peace on earth is what all the globalists would like to have. But they're trying to do it the wrong way. And at the end of that thing, there's a fire that comes down, destroys everything that we see. And then we go into another eternity future. It's an amazing picture that God gives us in the Bible. But we cannot, ladies and gentlemen, we cannot uh, uh, miss this point that everything that we see is accursed. Everything that we touch is going to be burned up everything that's why the only thing that is really eternal is our souls amen and our bodies will be changed one day with the glorious work of god but that's another whole lesson and say pastor i don't believe in hell listen if you don't believe in hell you better you better hope you're right you better hope you're right Because the Bible declares that there is a place of eternal judgment. Her spiritual condition, her spiritual condition was that she was under condemnation. She was also given some time to repent as the entire city was. How do I know that? Well, look at verse number nine real quick here. It says, and she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us. And that the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Well, why do you, why? Because of verse 10. 
For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the what? What? Red Sea? Yeah. He said, we heard about that. Now, how long ago was that? From here. Well, think about it. When did they get out of Egypt? They came out of Egypt, they go across the Red Sea, and they wandered in the desert for, okay, I'm giving you signs, okay? 40 years. 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. So watch this. She is reminding him, these two spies, we heard what happened 40 years ago. We heard this when I was a little girl. We heard it in our history books of 40 years ago that you uh, were came across this dry sea when the Red Sea dried up. And we heard about that. We heard about what you did to the kings of the Amorites, Gog and, or, or Og and, and Shihon. We, we, heard, we heard all about it. We heard of it. Listen, there was time. Time to repent. And she had been given time to repent. And notice here as you look at this, that God spared the city from even a moment of time. And there's no indication that there was going to be an offer to forgive. But I would say this, because of God's grace and long-suffering, what if, you, what if the entire city came out with their hands up? <laughs> you just never know. All right? We believe in your God. They didn't. But I would say this, how many times has God given us time? How, how, about, how about this, guys? How about, how about Dale's testimony? How many times did God give him more time? How many times did God give you more time? How many close calls do you have to go through? How many of those near misses do you have to avoid? How many times has he knocked on your heart's door? How many times has he called you to faith? How many times have you been invited to church? How many times have the Holy Spirit says, you're going to die one day, and then what? How many times? That's time and space to repent. That's the grace of God. The Bible calls him a God of long suffering. Makes it crystal clear that there's a limit to that. A limit. I I call that there's a limit to national grace. God has given our country grace. There's a limit to that. Remember what the Bible says about the Amorites? When God says the, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Not yet full. I mentioned this a couple of months ago. There seems to be a, a, a capacity that God gives. And a little bit more, a little bit more. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, meaning there is a point, if I continue putting water in this glass, that it's going to go over the edge of the glass. And so iniquity, it, it seems to indicate that there's, there's, it's getting fuller and fuller. And at some point, it's going to be a place where it's over. Judgment comes. Are you with me? The Amorites, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I can't judge them yet. And the only thing that can put off, if you would, that judgment is repentance. National repentance prolongs, if you would, and puts off that judgment. Say, Pastor, how do you prove that? How about Nineveh? You got 40 days left and you're going to be destroyed. And they got right with God and God didn't destroy them for another 130 years. That's God's grace. There is a point when God's limit and God's time runs out and it's over. So here we are. These two spies just happen to come to Rahab's house and they are a Hebrew boys and she is a Canaanite harlot and she's taking advantage of this. Wait a minute, this just doesn't happen to me every day. But I will say this, it is a dangerous thing to delay. 
getting right with God, it is a dangerous thing to say to God some other time. Some other time. So, we got Rahab before she got saved. We got Rahab how she got saved. It's interesting when you start unpacking how she gets saved. In verse number 10, the Bible says, for we have heard. How about that phrase? Look at verse number 11. As soon as we what? Had heard. There's something about hearing about what God did. Isn't that good? How should they hear without a preacher? Amen. The Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 10, that, uh, that we're sending missionaries around the world. Why? Because people need to hear. You, you and I need to hear what God's word says. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Rahab said, you know what? We heard about your God. We heard about what he's done. We heard about what he's capable of doing. And that message changed her life. And by the way, this gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest message that man needs today. Amen? It's a message of life. It's the only message that can take a vilest sinner and make them a new creation. Praise God for that. So she heard what God did. And number two on this is she believed what God was going to do. Now, it's a very interesting disconnect sometimes. We can believe what God did and yet not believe what God is going to do. Very interesting, isn't it? There are people, I believe the Bible. Well, do you believe what the Bible says is going to come in the future? Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think he's a good person. I think Jesus is all right. You know, I I think, you know, he he sacrificed. I would have probably done the same thing. Someone told me that. I would have probably been done the same thing and all that kind of stuff. But the disconnect comes then to what is he capable of doing? What is coming? And that's what's interesting in verse number nine. She said unto them, now look at verse nine. I know that the Lord hath given you the land. How did she know that? That's interesting. No, no, the Canaanites, that's Canaanites land, right? Biblically speaking, she had to believe a promise given to Abraham. I know something about your God. I know that the land I'm on is not ours. I know the land is your land. This land is not my land. (laughs) It's yours. And I know that this promise God made to you. So here's what she essentially is saying. I believe what God is going to do. This land is going to be conquered by your God. Praise God. So she essentially believed in the promises of God to Israel. And what she hears about God produces, if you would, a, a response of faith. Because you'll find two phrases in verse number 9 and verse number 12. You'll find she says, I know that the Lord. Verse 12. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord. Now we have a woman that is a Canaanite woman that believes in multiple deities saying the Lord. You all with me? He's not a God. He's not your God. He is the Lord. You ever have someone say the man upstairs? That's such a blasphemist. He's not a man upstairs. He's a God in heaven. He is the Lord. And so by faith, Rahab now is believing about this God. In verse 31, it says in Hebrews 11, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. She now has faith. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Look in verse number 12. 
I'm almost finished. Verse number 12. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren, my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from what? Death. And the men answered our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Now, this is an interesting thought. Now, now we have a covenant that is being made with Rahab, a promise. If you would, a covenant that God is now establishing with this woman that is in this condemned city, living formerly as a prostitute, and now she's been covenanted with. We have a covenant. Everything's going to be destroyed, but now we have a covenant that she's in. Now, ladies and gentlemen, watch this. Before she got saved, she lived condemned in a sinful condition in a city that's going to be destroyed. Now she's saved. Now she's under a covenant. Same city is going to be destroyed, but she's going to be okay. Amen? Now, if you're saved today, if you're in Christ, you watch this, you are still in a condemned world. All right? And you are still in, okay, in a condemned body. Okay? And the older I get, the more I see that reality. All right? We change. Our bodies change. Our bodies decay. Our bodies get old. Okay, the book of Ecclesiastes sort of unpacks all that, where our, our teeth are grinding, our, we hunch over, we, our eyes get dim. It describes age. And then you're going to leave this world, and this condemned body is going to go to a grave. <laughs> but praise God, there's a covenant that made, was made with you through the blood of Jesus Christ, that your spirit is saved in the day of redemption. The blessing is we are sealed Unto the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit of God is a gift of the Father. Wow. That's good. So, she says, I need a covenant. He said, oh, we'll swear unto you. But let me give you something that you better put on your doorpost. He says in verse number 18, Behold, when we come into the Lamb, thou shalt bind a line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. So, he says, now here's what we need you to do. Go get a scarlet rope, a scarlet thread, and I want you to put it in your window. Now, scarlet is red. And the blood of Jesus Christ is what? Red. And the lentil on the doorposts in Egypt, there was blood from a lamb that was red, okay? The scarlet rope represents the blood of Jesus Christ. When I see that rope in your window, we, we will not judge you. We will not kill you. He says in verse number, <laughs> verse number 19, And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be on his head. We will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood be on our head if any, uh, if any hand be upon him. So if you stay in the house, you'll be okay. But if you come out, you're not. Now, here's what she has to do. She has to go get a, she has to take the, all of her family out to Starbucks coffee and sit down and try to convince them that this whole city is going to be destroyed. Okay? And don't trust what the news media is telling you, that these walls will be able to hold up against this thing. This is going to be destroyed. Dad, you've got to listen to me. This, this Jehovah God is powerful enough. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to come into the city, and you're all, you're all dead. Well, what do you want us to do? You need to get into my house. In your house, yes, 
All of us? Yes. And everything you have. Every, can you imagine this? Can you imagine the U-Haul pulling up to her house and unloading everything into her house? Everything, all that pertains to her coming in. They're packing things in there. Her mother, her sister, her brother, her, uh, uh, are all in there. And that scarlet rope, and gotta get back. Rahab, hey, Dad, make sure the scarlet rope's on the window. It's there, it's there. What's so big about this thing? Well, don't go out at all. You stay here. Now everything's okay until the first day. All of a sudden, they look out. I did some training in the desert out in National Training Center in California, military. And you can see when the, uh, the opposing forces come. The first thing you see is the cloud. <laughs> there's just a dust. And there's a rumble as they're coming. There's an intense rush of, of adrenaline that hits. All right, up, up, on the, up on the hill, look, here they come. And here's six and a half million Jews walking to your city. And the eerie thing about it is not one of them are saying a word. No sound. They've been commanded not to speak. That's an unnerving thing, isn't it? All the military's up on the wall, and these people are walking around, most likely out of shots of any kind of arrows, and just walking around quietly, Diane, not saying a word. The entire day, they walk around the entire city, not saying a word. No child speaking. No teenager speaking. Quiet. Eerie. And then they're gone. Well, that was weird. That was strange, man. And Rahab says, hey, don't go out. Don't go out. Day two. Here they come again. All right, everyone, all military on the road. This is the attack. And they do the same thing. Day two, day three, day four. Can you imagine by the end of day six? This has got to be something very troubling. Can we leave now? No. Is the scarlet thread in the window? Yes, Rahab. Yes, it is. On the day seven, they walk around those walls of Jericho seven times. This is different. They're coming around again, guys. Coming around again. Okay. They're going around again. This is number two. Can you imagine this? On that seventh time, the trumpets blow, and I don't know what that would have been like. And the walls of Jericho fell down flat. Now, The interesting thing about this is that she let those spies down through a window on the wall, indicating that her house was built on the wall. So her house is still standing. Now, I don't know what her mom and dad are thinking about this time. They're probably thinking, I'm glad we had coffee the other day. (laughs) And they're looking out the window seeing complete destruction, people being slaughtered. Look in Joshua chapter 6 real quick and we'll be finished. And they utterly, verse 21, they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, old and young and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Look at verse 22. And Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as he swore unto her. Oh no, they're coming to our house now. They're coming to our house. 
I could imagine Rahab coming up to her. Oh, that's the two boys that came. That's the two spies. They're all right. Come on in, boys. You all hear? This has got to be about heightened anxiety, man. This is it. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brother and all that she had. And they brought her out of all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even to this day because she had hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Now, why would I call her Rahab, the mother of Boaz? Because she is many times referred to as Rahab the harlot. It's a good question. Look at the book of Ruth, if you would. The book of Ruth. We're almost finished. We're almost finished. How many are doing okay? All right, your kids are going to be all right. Ruth chapter 4, man, verse 21. Look at this. Ruth 4, verse 21. Are you all there? All right, Ruth. You got to see this. I want you to get to it, okay? So don't pretend you're there. Just get to it, all right? Ruth chapter 4. I see some pages turning. I never turn to the book of Ruth. It's a great book, all right? Ruth chapter 4, all right? Look at verse 21. And Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N, begat Boaz, and Boaz begat who? Obed. Now hold your finger there and hang it right there. Go to Matthew's, find out who this guy is. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 5. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1, verse number 5. And Salmon begat who? Boaz, or Boaz, of who? Rachib, or Rahab. Now watch this. You know what happened here? Rahab was brought out from destruction, and she was going to get married to someone, to this guy named Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz. Now think about this. This woman is a harlot, a former harlot. She lived in a condemned city. She had the most disgusting job in the city in terms of reproaching job. And now watch this. She's outside of the city, watching the city burn. And then she has another plan. God has. She marries a guy by the name of Salmon, who begot Boaz. Boaz begot Obed. And you'll find that Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse, say, Pastor, what's begat mean? They had a baby. Okay? I, I forgot. Maybe you don't know what, what's begat. I don't know what begat is. Okay? So, okay, watch this. So, Salmon, Rahab, have, have Obed. Oh, excuse me, Boaz. Boaz ha- and Ruth have Obed. Obed then has a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse has a son by the name of David. And watch this, King David. David, Jesus Christ, came from the lineage of David. Are you all with me? So she, listen, this is incredible. She was put into the very lineage of Jesus Christ which is an incredible honor to be a part of, all the way to Mary and Joseph. Are you all here? So here's my question. We, we know in Joshua chapter 6 that the, the two spies were young, the young men. I don't know how young they were, maybe older teenagers, but it could be possible that one of these spies was named Salmon. 
uh, you know what? You're pretty. <laughs> um, and your, ha- your whole city's uh, destroyed. Uh, you want to go out and uh, get a cup of coffee with me? <laughs> Are you all here? Oh, sure. You know my, pa- oh, I know your past. That's- I don't care about that. You know? And watch this. They raise a Boaz. Watch this. Who, ri- who marries a Moabitish woman by the name of Ruth? Isn't God's grace so amazing? So watch this. She leaves a condemned city to go to a wedding. And we are living in the last days, man. And one day, we are living this condemned world. And this condemned world is going to be destroyed. And we're going to a wedding. We're going to go marry the bridegroom and be with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God for that. When you look at the types and how God works all this, ladies and gentlemen, Rahab was the wife, or rather the mother of Boaz, the great-great-grandmother of King David, the great-great-great-great-great-great-whatever-grandmother of Jesus Christ. And I'll say this this morning, what a transformation. What an opportunity. Here's the conclusion. She's not the girl she used to be, man. Dale's not the man he used to be. If you're saved, you shouldn't be the person you used to be. You have a new king now. You have a new savior now. You have a new goal now, a new plan now. And this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angel beckoned me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know, I have a friend like you. Heaven's not my home. Oh, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I don't know about you, man. This whole thing's going to burn up one day. Are you, are you living for Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Are you redeemed? If you're not, you can be. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, Jesus loves you. He died for your sin. The scarlet, if you would, rope on your window is the blood of Jesus Christ over your soul. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. There's a lot there. Say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I go to heaven. I'd like to be. You can be saved today, born again today. If you're here this morning and you are not living to the faith and the degree of which Jesus saved you to be, why don't this morning you say, Lord, I'm, I'm putting everything on the line. It's all yours. My faith, my life, my ambitions, my goal, all yours, God. It's all yours. Because the whole thing's going to end one day. And when the rapture takes place, we don't want to go feet first. We'll go head first. Amen.